just heard the beginning of a piece written in 1950 in the United States by an Italian composer of Spanish-Jewish heritage. That was the opening of Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco's Quintet for Guitar and String Quartet, the first work on a new release from CD Records titled Souvenirs of Spain and Italy, starring legendary guitarist and multiple Grammy winner Sharon Isbin, with the Pacifica Quartet, also Grammy-winning ensemble and an ensemble that's been recording for Sadie Records for 20 years. This is Sadie's new release for August 2019, and those of you who've heard this podcast before know that every time there's a new release on Sadie Records, we have a new Classical Chicago podcast. I'm Jim Ginsberg, founder and president of Sadie Records, and I am thrilled to introduce my collaborators on this podcast, none other than Sharon Isbin herself. Hi, Sharon. Hi, it's great to talk with all of you. And representing the Pacifica Quartet, Brandon Vamos, the cellist. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you guys. So let's get right into it. How did your collaboration start? When did you begin playing together? Well, it was actually 2016 at the Aspen Music Festival. I asked the Pacifica if they would join me in my annual concert there at the festival, and fortunately they said yes. I've been a great fan of their playing. I think they're one of the most wonderful and greatest string quartets on the planet, and it was an instant love affair. We also respect one another, and we decided to bond and tour together, and we've been doing that ever since. Yeah, it was a thrill for us. I remember hearing... Sharon perform Vivaldi concertos with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra when I was a teenager. So when we were asked to collaborate, it was very exciting because I remember that performance so well. And it was a great experience at Aspen, and we just had to continue doing it. And what brought you to this particular program of Works for Guitar and Strings? Well, in Aspen, we played the Baccarini Quintet, which is so exciting with the Fandango. I know we'll be talking about that a little bit later. And I thought that adding the Castanuevo Tedesco Quintet would be a real special and rarely heard work. It's also been rarely recorded. So this was something that Brandon and the quartet were really in favor of, as were you, Jim, and I. And I came to know the granddaughter of Mario Castanuevo Tedesco in New York City during this preparation of the project. And that was particularly thrilling because she shared with me the actual autograph manuscript in Tedesco's own hand that I was able to provide to the quintet, answer lots of questions we had about notes and accidentals. And it was just a thrilling process to be able to do this work by one of the great composers from Italy for guitar. This is a work that was written for Segovia. What is it like playing a piece with that kind of history? I was fortunate to actually, as a child, have some lessons with Segovia, and I had started the guitar in Italy, and when I came back to the United States, I was introduced to Segovia, and from the age of 14 till probably maybe 20 or 21, I was able occasionally to have lessons with him, and one of the things that really struck me was 
to be able to sit just a few inches from him when he would demonstrate, and I would hear that magical diamond-like sound that he had, and that stayed with me as a model in my ear. And of course, Segovia did so much in terms of encouraging composers to write for the instrument. And in the case of Castanuevo Tedesco, he had already premiered the concerto that Segovia had asked him to write for him. And then the Chamber Music Society was interested in having Segovia return. And as a result, he asked Tedesco to write him a new piece that would be for string quartet and guitar. And that's how this came to be written in 1950. In fact, I should quote a little bit from the wonderful program notes we have from Alan Kozin, who I think people know as a longtime critic for the New York Times. He remarks that Castanovo Tedesco was a scion of a Jewish family that settled in Italy after the expulsion from Spain in 1492 and often used his heritage as inspiration. So this piece fits both sides of the title of the album, Souvenirs of Spain and Italy, in a way. And in fact, Tedesco had to flee yet again in real life in 1939 when the Nazis came to power in Europe and barely escaped with his family and made it to the United States and settled in California. And he wrote over 100 pieces for the guitar. And of course, many film scores as well yes. being in California. That concerto is one of the real jewels of the repertory. And I would say that there are some similarities between the writing in the concerto and the quintet. And he was so proud of this quintet. He called it one of his best works ever. And I think that when you hear it, you'll see why. It's one that challenges all the instruments. It's really like a concerto for each instrument. It's one of the most difficult things I've played and one of the most gratifying because when you put that kind of work into it and we really focused, it was thrilling to see the results. How was it for the quartet, Brandon? Great. Like Sharon said, everybody has something to do, and there's a lot of communication amongst the voices. They're passing voices, and everybody is challenged. I'm kind of interested what it would have been like for Segovia, because I know he wasn't amplified, but working with Sharon was so easy to connect on the voices and, and balance, and that, of course, that can always be a challenge. We played this work about 25 years ago. We were asked as a brand-new quartet to play it at a music festival, and I remember thinking then what a gem it was. So when Sharon suggested recording it and performing it, we were all very excited because I remember when you discover our work and you say, wow, why is this not played? And to have the opportunity to do it was fantastic. You're echoing Alan's description in the notes of the piece as an urbane work rich in vibrant themes and dialogues among the individual lines. Getting back to the heritage, though, what role would you say that plays in his writing in this piece and in Castelnuovo Tedesco's writing in general? Well, if you look at his own notation in the second movement, he says souvenir de España in one section, or memories of Spain. And that helps our title of the album, which is Souvenirs of Spain and Italy, when you combine the heritage of all the composers on this album and the inspiration of the music. In fact, Alan in the notes quotes Castanova Tedesco's own description of the piece, which I I think I might as well read. The quintet has a simple, flowing, almost Schubertian lyricism, and you know how much I love Schubert. The first movement is particularly Schubertian. The Allegro Vivo e Schietto is one of the most concise and stringent movements I've ever written. However, the second movement, the Andante Mesto, is my favorite, with its long and touching melodic phrasing in which a typically Spanish melisma emerges in the central part. In fact, I wrote above it, as you just mentioned, Sharon, Souvenir de España. 
This is followed by a spirited third moment, Scherzo alla Marcia. The quintet ends with a fiery finale in 6-8, very contrapuntal, but also interrupted in the middle with the more languid rhythm of a habanera, another souvenir de España. And in fact, I love all four movements, but I would agree with the composer. The Andante is also my favorite, so I thought we could hear an excerpt from that movement. Is there anything special you want to say about it? Lyricism is evident right from the beginning, and the virtuosity of each of the players in the quartet is so beautiful to behold. And again, I think there are some similarities between this movement and the middle movement of his concerto. Absolutely. Well, let's hear that then. Here is an excerpt of the second movement, marked Andante Mesto from the Quintet for Guitar and String Quartet, Opus 143, written in 1950 by Mario Castanuovo Tedesco. That lovely music you just heard was an excerpt of the Andante Mesto, second movement of the four-movement Quintet for Guitar and String Quartet, Opus 143, of Italian composer Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco, as performed by guitarist Sharon Isbin and the Pacifica Quartet on their album Souvenirs of Spain and Italy, brand new album on CD Records, and we are here with Sharon and Brandon Vamos, the cellist of the Pacifica Quartet for today's podcast. And the second work on the album goes back a couple centuries. It's music by Antonio Vivaldi, 
as arranged by Emilio Pujol and edited by Sharon Isbin. It's probably Vivaldi's best-known lute concerto, the concerto in D major, which is also heard often on mandolin. But this is an arrangement actually for guitar and three strings. So only one violinist from the quartet on this one. And this would probably be a good time to mention the members of the quartet, which are Simeon Ganatra and Austin Hartman violins, Mark Holloway viola, and Brandon Vamos cello. On this track, we will be hearing everybody but Simeon. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this arrangement, because I think this concerto is quite familiar to people in its original form. How do the balances compare in this arrangement? And Sharon, what was the extent of your editing? This work played with string trio and guitar really has an intimacy about it that I think is particularly lovely and is using Emilio Pocol, who is one of the real leaders in the world of classical guitar. He had actually been a student of Francisco Tarrega, a great 19th century guitarist and composer. He added a viola part. He moved things around a bit to put the guitar in a prominent solistic role, and it works just beautifully this way. I'm particularly inspired by the slow movement, the Largo, because it gives me an opportunity to apply Baroque embellishment, especially in the repeat. And one of my mentors who meant so much to me was the great Bach pianist and scholar and keyboard artist, Rosalind Turek. And I studied with her for 10 years. Together we edited and published all the Bach lute suites. So for me, doing Vivaldi with this additional training and knowledge was a lot of fun because there's so much you can do that is improvisatory in the style when you have a slow movement. And really, Bach was the jazz of its time in the Baroque days, Mm. and performers knew how to add their own character within that style. In fact, Alan Cozen writes in the notes, Guitar historians and listeners fascinated with the instrument's modern development will relish the degree to which this edition offers a kind of authenticity that looks back at the guitar world at the turn of the century when Pujol's sensibilities were formed during his time as a student of Francisco Tarrega. Often, as in this case, he struck a balance between fidelity to the original and revisions that, to his ear, yielded more balanced sound when played on modern instruments. I think that's pretty accurate. And even when I do this work with string orchestra, there are various sections in the outer movements where it reverts to just solo cello. So this is really a natural incarnation for us to follow. And of course, this arrangement by a Spanish composer of an Italian composer once again fits very nicely the theme of the album. Brandon, what was it like for you and the three members of the quartet to play such an intimate arrangement? Oh, it's a beautiful work. Like Sharon says, the low movement is so intimate and so much fun to perform when Sharon has a repeat and we're not quite sure what she's going to do with it and how we can react to it and how we can change the color of the sound. And there's a lot of communication, a lot of back and forth in the outer movements as well. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to play. So I thought to contrast with the slow movement that we just heard from the Castelnuovo Tedesco Quintet, we could hear the finale of this piece, which is, as Alan writes, in a brisk 12-8 meter and has the character of a rustic Italian dance. Is there anything else you would want to add to that? It offers a nice interchange between the tutti, all of us playing together, which you'll hear at the beginning and the end, and dividing that up between the guitar and cello really as solo 
duo partners. Well, let's hear that then. This is the Allegro third movement of Vivaldi's Concerto in D Major, RV93, originally for lute and strings, in this arrangement by Emilio Pujol, as edited by Sharon Isbin, for guitar, violin, viola, and cello. just heard the allegro final movement of Antonio Vivaldi's famous concerto in D major for lute as arranged for guitar and three strings by Emilio Pohol. The guitarist was Sharon Isbin, and the members of the Pacifica Quartet on this track were Austin Hartman violin, Mark Holloway viola, and Brandon Vamos cello. And Sharon and Brandon are both with me on this podcast. When I should mention, if you've been enjoying what you're hearing, you can find our recordings on sadierecords.org, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org. And anywhere else, albums are sold, music is streamed or downloaded, Spotify, Apple Music, you name it, we're there. And I certainly hope you'll want to check out this album. The next piece on the album is the only piece that is purely Spanish, and for string quartet alone. This is Joaquin Torina's La Oración del Torero for string quartet, Opus 34, known in English as the Bullfighter's Prayer. Before we get to the piece, Brandon, this might be a good time to talk about the quartet, which has been recording for Sadie Records for almost its entire existence since 1999 and has evolved over time. The anchors, of course, are yourself and your wife, 
Simin Ganatra, the first violinist. But this is your first album with the new players on the inner voices, Austin Hartman, violin, who Sadie Records fans may also recognize as the former first violinist of the Biava Quartet, which made a couple recordings on Sadie, and Mark Holloway Viola. And these, of course, are your colleagues at Indiana University. Can you talk about the latest incarnation of the ensemble? Well, it's been great. You know, we had the same membership for 17 years, and then when we made the changes, when Austin joined us two years ago, and, and Mark's been with the group for over a year now, whenever you change one member, there's a new personality, a new way that the group has to work. But it's, for us, it's been very inspiring. They're great musicians, they're great players, and when you play similar repertoire over time, and you, you know, you can get, this is how we're going to do it. And it's so nice to have new ideas, fresh ideas, and sometimes even be questioned on something we had really discussed many years ago and, well, why do you do that? And it just makes you think a lot and it stretches you in a new way. It's been great having them and we were so excited to be able to record with the new membership and show what we do now. So the quartet, of course, was formed in 1994, so you're celebrating your 25th anniversary at the same time that Sadie Records is celebrating our 30th. All right. And you and Samin, have you been married the entire time of the quartet? We got married in 2000, so no, the first four or five years we were not married. It's been 19 years. Great. Well, as I mentioned, the next piece is for quartet alone. It's called The Bullfighter's Prayer of Tarina. And Alan writes in the notes that it's intended to capture the few moments a bullfighter spends in a small, incense-filled chapel praying for God's protection before going out to face the bull. And interestingly, and very appropriately for this album, it was actually originally written for a lute quartet. And the original instruments that it was written for, Alan writes, were actually not so much Baroque lutes, but a more mandolin-like Spanish instrument. In 1936, he reworked the piece for string quartet, and of course that's the edition we're hearing here. What impressions do you get from the piece, Brandon, and how was it to play it? Well, I imagine... He decided to write it for string quartet to have more performances. I can't imagine there were many groups playing that Spanish folk instrument. It works very well for strings. That image of the bullfighter in the chapel preparing to go out there, praying that he's going to survive, knowing that right around the corner he's going to walk into this big stadium with that energy, that intensity. You think of the title, you imagine there's going to be a lot of that, but it's a prayer. And so the music is very evocative and it's very intimate. But then all of a sudden you have that Spanish folk music element that starts up and that energy and then it comes back to something very sweet that I think works really well for what a string quartet can do. Well, let's hear some of that then. This is an excerpt from the Bullfighter's Prayer or La Oración del Torero for String Quartet, Opus 34 of Spanish composer Joaquin Torina, performed by the Pacifica Quartet on their new album, Souvenirs of Spain in Italy. Thank you. 
We just heard an excerpt from La Oración del Torero, The Bullfighter's Prayer, work for String Quartet, Opus 34, by Spanish composer Joaquin Torina. It's the only piece for quartet alone on our new album, Souvenirs of Spain and Italy, featuring the Pacifica Quartet in all four pieces and in all but that piece, guitarist Sharon Isbin, who is with me on this podcast, along with Brandon Vamos of the Pacifica Quartet. And now we come to the last work on the program, one of the best-known works by Italian composer Luigi Boccherini. And here we have kind of the reverse of our first composer, who was Mario Castelnuovo Tedesco, composer of Spanish heritage, born in Italy. Here we have an Italian composer who found his way to Spain and did most of his most famous work there. Boccherini actually worked from 1768 until his death in 1805 in Spain. So that's 37 years of his life and was so inspired by the music there, as you'll hear in the Fandango movement of this quintet. Which is certainly the movement we will hear as our excerpt, What Else Could We Play? But it's a wonderful quintet, very virtuosic, I think, especially for you, Brandon, because Boccherini was a cellist, right? Yeah, big challenge for the cello in this work. There's a lot of pieces where he really makes it challenging for the cellist, and certainly in this work, especially in the second movement, where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm put up into the highest registers of the cello. This is an area of the cello where even the slightest change and everything is so close together for the fingers creates some sort of error and intonation. It's a challenge. I enjoy playing it. And I think one of the reasons that Baccarini was able to succeed in writing something where the quartet could play full out in the loud areas is because the guitar can play with what we call a rasgado technique, which is a flamenco-inspired type of strum that uses all the fingers at once. And I have created my own way of doing that in different rhythms for the part because it wasn't really specified as to how to play it. So when you get to those chords, that's really the performer that has to figure out how they want to do it. And using Rasquiello technique allows us all to build from the softest piano to something with triple forte. One of the quotes that I just love about the Fandango came from Casanova. In 1767, he happened to be in Madrid, and he wrote of his impressions of seeing a fandango being danced. He wrote, each couple, man and woman, taking no more than three steps at a time and clicking castanets, which you're going to hear in our version too, clicking castanets to the sound of the orchestra, make a thousand gestures, take a thousand attitudes with a lasciviousness with which nothing can compare. This dance is the expression of love from beginning to end, from the sigh of desire to the ecstasy of enjoyment. That's what you're going to hear in our Fandango. So before we get to hear an excerpt of the really terrific Fandango, is there anything you'd like to say about the first two, maybe more classically classical movements, the Pastoral and the Allegro Maestoso? Well, one of the reasons they sound so different is they're actually from a different quintet. <laughs> they're from the number four which was the source of these first two movements. How did they happen to get put together as one piece? I think he did that a lot. We played a quintet that was in C major, where he wrote so much music, and he put together movements from different C major quintets that made the piece. I think he was okay with that. He would write something, and then he would pull something if he liked that, and then make it a work. So, But this was done by Baccarini. Is this a trend with Italian composers? I'm thinking Rossini put together a lot of his operas this way. 
Uh, possibly. Yeah, it could be an Italian thing. So, moving along to the Fandango, it has a slow introduction, Grave Assai, and then moves into the Fandango, and as Sharon mentioned, includes castanets and actually also tambourine, performed on this recording by Brazilian percussionist Eduardo Leandro. Anything more you want to say about this before we let people hear it? This is such a fun piece to perform, the Fandango movement, because of the energy and the rhythm that for a string quartet to have this energy and the guitar and the brilliance, the excitement of the movement, and the way the audience reacts to that kind of energy, and they go nuts, yeah, and it's super fun to play, and I think it comes out on recording as well. Well, Eduardo was a real perfect partner for this because he's used to improvising, and he was able to add his own color and character to the parts, so it will be unique and so wonderfully appropriate, it adds that click of excitement that is so Spanish when you consider the castanets. Great. Well, with that set up, let's hear an excerpt from the Fandango portion from the Quintet for Guitar and String Quartet in D Major, G Listing 448 of Luigi Boccherini.
what you just heard was from the quintet for guitar and string quartet in D major of Luigi Boccherini, the famous fandango portion as performed by guitarist Sharon Isbin and the Pacifica Quartet. And the members of the Pacifica Quartet are Simin Ganatra and Austin Hartman violins, Mark Holloway viola and Brandon Vamos on this podcast with me, cello aided by the percussion of Brazilian percussionist Eduardo Leandro on castanets and tambourine. So great fun there, a great way to end the album, and the album is Souvenirs of Spain and Italy. It is Sadie Records' new release for August 2019, available on sadierecords.org, that's C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, available on Spotify, Apple Music, archivemusic.com, Amazon, you name it, we're there. And I would hope after hearing these different excerpts, you would want to check this album out. And now that people have had a chance to hear parts of each piece, Brandon and Sharon, what would you say about the balance between guitar and strings in really the whole program, all four pieces? I think that our producer, Judy Sherman, and Bill Malone, our engineer, did a brilliant job putting us together in a way that is so seamless and where you can hear the guitar clearly, but there's a depth and contour to the whole framework with a beautiful sound. And that's not really very easy to do in a recording situation sometimes with guitar. And I think they captured it with just such a sense of refinement and expertise. I'm thrilled with the result. And when you're performing these pieces live, how do you deal with these issues? Well, live, I use a speaker that's placed behind me a few feet, and I have a little volume knob that I travel with so I can control the volume of that speaker between movements or even sections, and that really creates for the audience a sense of single source. So it sounds like everything is coming from the guitar rather than from the walls or the ceiling, and that creates an impression that they're hearing everything with the clarity and beauty that they want, but they're not aware that it's amplified or reinforced. And that's so important to just keep it as natural as possible. And I think that there's no question that Judy Sherman and Bill Malone did that just wonderfully effectively in this particular recording. And I would say that doing so in the Castel Novo Tedesco was a real special challenge for any producer and engineer to do because there's so much depth to the piece, and it's important that each line be able to be heard with its own contour. And Brandon, your experience and the quartet's experience working with other guitarists, is the approach pretty much the same as Sharon described, or are there many different approaches to this conundrum? Well, Sharon really knows what she's doing when it comes to sound, and so, of course, every performance, every hall is a little bit different, and there's different challenges. She really knows how to find that natural sound and get the balance to work in performance. And then with Judy and Bill, I was not at all worried that they were going to be able to give us a beautiful sound that was evenly balanced. And actual recording process was I felt like I could play and be comfortable and play musically and expressive and somehow not have to worry as much. There were a lot of experts in the room who knew how to handle those things, and so it was easy. And the sound reinforcement 
allows each of the members of the quartet to play without inhibition. Yes, we're all sensitive to balance and where to each play less in the right moments, but they can play full out when that's called for. And I think that's so important to keep the excitement and the energy and the momentum and the power of the music really alive for the listeners. I know when we had performed it many years ago, like I said, it was the first attempt to do it without any amplification. And I remember feeling like I was on eggshells trying to play soft enough, even when the music says forte and that's recibo. There was a sort of an inhibition about it. But That was long before I knew the Pacifica Quartet, so it wasn't with me. <laughs> Way before. Sharon, what would you like people to take from the album program as a whole? Just the sense of joy that this music brings. And you have, of course, moments of reflection where there, in minor keys, introduces a more impassioned, sadder impulse, but then there's just the reverence for the instruments themselves. All of these composers really communicate that. And for me, it's kind of fun because I actually started the guitar in Italy. I was nine years old, and I'm an accidental guitarist. My older brother had asked for lessons when we went there to live for a year on sabbatical. My father's a scientist, and when he discovered that this famous teacher who had studied with Segovia and was touring in Italy was playing classical music, he said, oh no, I want nothing to do with this. I want to be the next Elvis Presley. So he bowed out. He never took a lesson, and out of family duty, I raised my hand and I said, okay, I'll do this. And that's how I came to the instrument. What a great story. So we're back to Italy now. Of course, you've gone on to become a real legend in the industry, a winner of three Grammy Awards and many other prizes, and still very, very full concert schedule. So what's up for you in the coming months? Well, I have really enjoyed collaborating with other musicians and in different kinds of genres. So I've managed to have projects where I could record with Joan Baez, with Mark O'Connor, the country fiddle player, with Steve Vai, the rock legend, Stanley Jordan, and I have a trio with Romero Lubambo from Brazil called Guitar Passions. And I've been doing this ever since I became a professional, starting with Antonio Carlos Jobim in Brazil. So for me, entering into new realms, going outside of my box, has really enriched my life as a musician and just as a person. So the latest project just happened recently. I did my first tour of India in February, and this was with the famous and legendary musician of the Sarod and his family who invented it, Amjad Ali Khan, and his two sons, Ayan and Aman Ali Bangash, with Israel Tabla. And we did music that Amjad Ali Khan composed for us that was actually notated so that I could be part of this project. And it was so exciting to be in India, perform in Delhi, Calcutta, and Mumbai, and then to actually go into a studio and record it. So that's an album that will come out in 2020 when we start touring in the United States. And then I just did another project of music composed for me. I, I really love working with composers. I've had, at this point, more than 80 works either written for or arranged for me and that I have premiered. And this album called Affinity is all music composed for me, and it includes as a centerpiece a new work by Chris Brubeck called Affinity, a concerto for guitar and orchestra, which will help celebrate Dave Brubeck's 100th anniversary in 2020, because the middle section is by Dave Brubeck, as well as music by Tan Dunn, Leo Brower, and Richard Danielpour, a commission from Carnegie Hall for me and mezzo-soprano Isabel Leonard. So that'll be something for the 2020 season release as well. Terrific. 
And uh, Brandon, what's coming up for the quartet later this summer and beyond? Oh, it's a busy summer. Tomorrow we leave for Aspen, and we'll be there for a month, uh, with a little traveling in and out um, from there, and playing a, a Schoenberg string quartet concerto with orchestra at the Eastern Music Festival in North Carolina. Then we'll be in Montreal, and a festival there, and Interlochen, and California, Victoria. It's busy. We're, we're pretty much on the road for the next month and a half. I should mention one other thing is our recording that we're finishing up in December of some of our commissions, including string quartet by Jennifer Higdon and a saxophone quintet of Zulik and a piece by Shulamit Ron. Which we already recorded, and I am proud to say I'm the producer of that particular album. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite pieces we've ever had commissioned for us. It's a piece we've played over 60, 70 times now. Are you talking about the Shulamit Ron third quartet? Yeah, Shulamit Ron's quartet. You want to say anything more about that piece, what makes it so special? incredibly deep piece, very profound. She was influenced by a painter who perished in the Holocaust, Felix Nussbaum. So each movement has incredible content to it. And she's such an expressive composer. The piece is full of her descriptions of each section, what she wants out of it, and the way she writes for the quartet and the reaction that we get after playing it, how the audience reacts from the beginning to the end. It's a piece that captivates, and I feel like every time we play it, I never get tired of it. And that's a sign of a great piece that can last for a long time. And when a group wants to play it again and again, that's special. And I'm looking forward very much to doing the editing on that piece now that we've recorded it. So finally, the question we always ask, and it's going to be interesting here because we're going to have an inside and an outside perspective, but the question we always end this podcast with is, what makes the Chicago music scene so special? Why don't we start with you, Brandon, as the insider? Well, it's very special to me personally and our quartet because being a young quartet in Chicago, this is where we started out. We were briefly in Los Angeles, but it's a challenging time for a young group is whether we're going to stick it out, stay together and be able to build a career. And Chicago was the perfect place for that, unlike some other cities where we had so many opportunities, many venues to play, a lot of supporting people in our lives in Chicago, concert presenters. And then I have to mention that for a record label to take on a young quartet in 1999 when you decided to work with us with Easley Blackwood's three string quartets. I mean, what an opportunity for us to be able to record and learn that process and all the opportunities we've had since and what we've been able to collaborate with you and the label and the great works that we've been able to record and and then everything else that the city has to offer, the great music that's in Chicago and the great musicians that we've been able to work with. So without Chicago, I don't know if we could have survived. And I should note that this is the Pacifica Quartet's 11th recording for CD Records, and as Brandon mentioned, there's already another one in the works. Sharon, what's your perspective as someone who comes to Chicago now and then to concertize? I love playing there. I'm thrilled that the city has so many great venues to offer. I've performed in Orchestra Hall, at the Ravinia Festival, at Grant Park Festival, at Northwestern, at the Harris Theater. And in fact, the Harris Theater was a co-commissioner for me of a work by Richard Danielpour and I think that it is unusual to have such an active, diverse culture in one city. You've got Baroque orchestras. It's really a remarkable place that celebrates music, and I'm always thrilled to be a part of it. Of course, WFMT doesn't get any better than that. 
And in fact, I should note that that's where I'm sitting uh, recording this podcast right now. Wonderful. And I want to add just to what Brandon said, what a wonderful thing it's been for us to be with the Pacifica Quartet since almost its inception, including its debut recording back in 1999 and so many ever since. One of the great things about our label, which is devoted to Chicago musicians, is so many have made their recording debuts with us, and then we've been able to follow their careers and actually promote their careers through the recordings. Pacifica Quartet is a perfect example of that, and I should note, in fact, that Sharon Isbin and the Pacifica Quartet will perform on September 8th of this year, 2019, which happens to be my birthday, at the gala celebrating the 30th anniversary of Sadie Records. That'll be at the Spurtis Institute, 610 South Michigan Avenue in Chicago. So those of you in Chicago or with access to Chicago, please check it out on our website, sadierecords.org. You can learn about our gala and get to hear them perform some of this repertoire live. And with that, I want to thank everyone for listening to this latest edition of Sadie's Classical Chicago podcast.